Like we like to think that opportunities are so rare that we have to say yes to anything that comes our way because it may never come our way again. People think that they get to the dock and they miss their boat, but there is always another one coming. So if you can believe that opportunities are endless and there's always going to be another opportunity, then you don't have to be afraid to say no to something that you don't want to do. How are we doing today, filmmakers? Welcome to the Late Evening Show with Jasper and Andrew. We have another exciting, we say that every time, but it's true. We have another exciting interview for you guys today. Andrew, who are we talking to? All right, let's just jump right into it. We've got Erica Wernick on our podcast today. She is a fantastic guest because she's come to talk about her career in Hollywood as a career coach. And so she takes uh, directors, writers, actors, and she coaches them uh, to help them be successful. And she, all of her clients have been in over 60 different TV shows and films um, on all the different platforms from ABC, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, and so on. And so she's come to talk about what it is uh, she does with her clients and how it is to to grow and, and work in uh, Hollywood. And so we actually took some forum questions from Reddit that you guys asked us and we asked her those questions. And then we gave her an opportunity to talk about her book and her podcast. And lastly, we finished this podcast off with a simulation of how she would actually speak to a client and help coach that client, in this case, being Jasper. So fantastic interview. I'm talking too much because I'd rather you listen to Erica about all of this. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the amazing, the talented Erica Wernick. What up? I'm Erica Wernick, Hollywood's success coach. And I have worked in Hollywood for a little over a decade now, going on my 13th year. And I moved out to Hollywood, specifically to Los Angeles, to pursue my big dream of working in television. I went to art school and I got a graphic design degree and I really wanted to design graphics for television. And I had grown up acting and singing and very involved in theater. And so I still wanted to be connected to that. And I've always been fascinated with Hollywood. So I moved out and I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I knew maybe like three people in the city and nobody in the industry at all. And so I had to create my connections from scratch. I had to break in by myself. It was really challenging, but I was able to do it. And I booked my first TV show uh, two weeks after moving to LA. And since then, I've just had an incredible career, you know, really living out my dream. I mean, there's definitely been some bumps along the way and, and obstacles, of course, but it's just been really incredible to live out my dream, you know, to like, if I were to go back to that Erica 13 years ago, who was living in the suburbs outside of Philly, had no connection to LA at all, to be able to tell her like, hey, you've worked on 30 TV shows now. I mean, that that would be just so cool. I know she would enjoy that. Um, and then one day, it, it was kind of a buildup, but there was a, a moment one day when I was working on a TV show at Warner Brothers. And we were in this little bungalow and I remember where I was sitting and I had some downtime in between graphic projects that I was working on. So I went on YouTube and was watching some videos and I came across this Oprah video where she was interviewing one of my favorite authors, Jack Canfield. If you don't know who he is, he is the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I don't even remember what they were talking about, but Jack has a career now based on helping people and Oprah obviously has created an entire um, industry around that. And 
when I was watching, I felt my eyes well up with tears. I felt this sudden desire, this need, you know, this voice came up and was like, Erica, you're supposed to be helping people. What are you doing? And like ever since then, I just, I, I knew that I needed to be helping people. I mean, I loved working on television and I loved, you know, living my dream as a graphic designer, but I felt like I couldn't really help people from behind my computer. So that is what led me to starting a Hollywood coaching business. And that was like five or six years ago at this point. And then I started working with people in Hollywood to help them make their dreams come true. You know, I had this great career and I really wanted to help others. I would see other people struggling and I could kind of pinpoint, you know, what help they needed and what would make it different for them. So that's what led me to my coaching business. And so now I've worked with actors, writers, directors, um, people in front of the camera, behind the camera, I think 11 different crafts now at this point. And we, between myself and my clients, we've booked over 60 television shows on basically every network that exists. So I guess that's a little bit about me, <laughs> my story and uh, what I'm doing here. Awesome. Yeah. So now that we kind of like have some of your background and uh, so you do mostly graphic design yourself, um, but with the career coaching, you kind of help the, the broader aspect of like the film world in general. So like um, actors, writers, like the whole thing, right? I don't really do as much graphics anymore. My business went full time in 2017 and I'll do a pilot every now and then, but um, but yes, I've worked with even like, I've had a VFX editor, I've had a music supervisor, makeup artist, singer, um, it's really run the gamut. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, so kind of what um, experience do you have and like, what makes you credible to be able to help like these types of people that are in the, at that side of the career that you haven't had experience in, right? So like VFX, so I'm, I don't know if you have or not, but let's say you haven't like, yeah, what, what, what would make you able to help them as well? It's a really good question because when I was first starting out, that was the question that I was most afraid of because I knew I wanted to help these people. And I was like, what if they asked me like, how the hell are you going to help an actor? You're a graphic designer. What the hell do you know? Um, and now I can answer that much more confidently after all these years of coaching people. Um, the reason why I'm able to is because so much of what people struggle with between their strategy uh, and also the mindset and their belief system behind this strategy is the same for every craft. Now there are nuances, of course, with every craft. And because I've worked in the industry for so long, I've had friends in different aspects of the industry and just from coaching so many people, like I have a really good idea of those nuances now for each of the individual crafts. Um, but it's, it's pretty fascinating to me how similar people's struggles really are, whether they're a VFX supervisor or editor or an actor. Um, so much of it uh, is, is really similar, um, which I've just, you know, loved learning. And it's cool because some of my, some of the work that I do are like, I have like a membership where it's a group of people and we have people in all different aspects of the industry and it's, they get to hear each other's struggles and obstacles and things that they need coaching with. And they get to hear how similar it is. They feel less alone. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing that too, even as an actor or even as a director. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just so, so similar. And then for the nuanced things, I really know just from working in Hollywood for so long um, and seeing it up close, you know, for over a decade. So uh, all of these people have somehow been able to connect with you. Um, what about people who don't have any connections? How do they get started to be able to potentially connect with somebody like you or somebody in the industry? How do you coach your clients to make those types of connections and network? Well, I think that who you know is, is a big 
part of this industry, whether you like it or not, um, I think is actually a good thing. I think, um, you know, one thing that I tell my clients, I talk about this in my book too, is to not think about it as connections, but to think about it as friends or relationships, because it's, it really just comes down to people. And a lot of times in the industry, like, yes, you need quote unquote connections, but people want to work with people they get along with and people that you form a natural bond with, you know, people like that you just organically connect with are more likely to help you. They're more interested in helping you than a stranger or just, you know, someone you have, you know, a connection to. So I think like number one, really look for friends instead of quote unquote contacts or connections. Um, you know, I, I always tell my, my clients when you're, when you're working on creating connections from scratch, try to find those people that you have, you know, already a natural connection with, like you're from the same hometown or you went to the same college. You know, if there's any kind of uh, some common bond between you, even if it's something really small, like you're like, oh my God, I have the same kind of dog that you have. <laughs> you know, anything that creates a human connection. Um, and then in terms of, you know, more on the tangible side, the way that I started out was cold emailing and cold messaging on um, social media. And I would look at IMDb and I would look up graphic designers on shows and movies that I liked. And I would email them. I would reach out and say, hey, I want to do what you do. And I have no idea how, you know, can you tell me the first step? Um, and so, and so that's what I, you know, helps, helps some of my clients with forming those connections and reaching out. And of course, like if you have a warm lead, that always is helpful. You know, if you have a friend in common or something, but I don't want people to feel like if they don't have that that they'll never be able to break in or they'll never be able to make connections. I think that, you know, I didn't know anybody when I was, I had no warm leads when I was starting out. Um, the person that helped me book my first TV show was a complete stranger six months before. Um, so yeah, so it's all about, you know, trying to find the people that either are doing what you want to do or could potentially hire you and, and reaching out to them. Awesome. So yeah, kind of along those lines, like living in LA or around that area, or even like Atlanta, Georgia, which also has a huge film community, you can kind of reach out to those people, maybe meet, meet up with them and everything. But if you're not living in LA, um, especially if it's in a smaller town where there's not really anything big going on film-wise, how, how, like, how do you reach out to people? How do you create those warm leads? Kind of what, where would you go from there? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when I started reaching out to people, I started six months before I moved to LA. So I wasn't in Los Angeles yet when I started, but I did know for sure that I was moving. I will say that I used to be kind of, I'm still a little hardcore about LA. I'm obsessed with LA. I'm like the only person in the world. Okay. <laughs> I love it here. And so I just want everyone to move here. But, you know, the other film cities have really grown and there's a lot of industry in Georgia, in Canada, you know, in New York, mm -hmm. there, there are so many other places, you know, one of my cousins um, was nominated for an Oscar for his first, first film, and he lives in New Orleans. So I think that if you're in a, if you're in a super small town that isn't close to one of those film cities, I really think that you should move. Like, you know, I think that to think that you can create this uber successful film career when you don't live in a city in which film is made. Um, I think that's just not, it's just, it's just, you know, creating a huge obstacle for yourself that doesn't have to be there. And I think that the way that some people in Hollywood view you when you aren't in one of those cities, and, and I kind of feel the same way, is that you're just not as serious about it, you know? And so there's a million people that could be hired ahead of you that do live here or do live in Georgia, you know, or do live in Canada. So I think that if you're in a super small town 
make it a goal to move to one of the film cities, you know, some kind of location that you feel connected to that you would like to live in that does create uh, TV and film. It's going to be so much easier to build relationships if you can eventually connect with them in person. Obviously with COVID right now, you know, it's not really a thing, but in the long run, I always say like the physical proximity is going to help so much. You know, it's like when I moved to LA, it's like, oh, there's Paramount Studios down the street. Oh, Warner Brothers is down the street. Suddenly I have physical proximity. Even if I don't know anybody yet, I still feel closer to it. And literally, you know, people all around me are in the industry. So it becomes much easier to meet people. So um, yeah, so that's what I would say. I, I definitely think you should move to a film. So it doesn't have to be LA. It can be one of the others. Um, you know, there's like, six or seven at this point that are pretty big. I mean, even, you know, London or Australia, although a lot of my clients abroad want to move here. Um, so get to a city that is going to be more conducive to connecting and building relationships. Um, but like I said, I started before I lived in Los Angeles. So you can, I mean, you can send a cold email from anywhere. So would you go about the same sort of strategy um, for people in sort of fields that require like agents? Would you require like, you know, specifically like actors? Would you would you coach them to do those cold uh, emails or, or try to do warm emails? Or like, how would you coach specifically for agents versus just like networking with people in your uh, in, in film in general? Yeah, I mean, I have an agent course that breaks down like how to do all of that, but definitely cold email is like the main way to reach out to agents. Even though everything is self-tape right now, you know, audition-wise, like, you know, in-person auditions are not happening during the pandemic. Um, and so everything's self-tape, which is great because I feel like it does create more opportunity for you if you don't live near a film city. But I still think the goal should be to get to a place because an agent might not take you seriously and might not want to take you on if you don't live in, you know, in the film city in which you are looking for an agent. Um, but, you know, absolutely cold email, you know, like I tell my clients to go on IMDb Pro and get a pro account on IMDb and look up co-stars, look up guest stars on different TV shows um, and, you know, reverse engineer it, like go backwards, go find out who their reps are, who's their agent, who's their manager. And that's a good way to start your search. Cool. Yeah. So kind of still in that same realm, what, what are some good agencies that you would recommend um, for different aspects of the film world? The good agencies I recommend are the ones that send you out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I, I think that like people get so caught up in the big five or the big 10. And, you know, this is what I tell my clients all the time. Like, what if you get rep by CAA and they don't send you out because they're focused on some of their bigger clients? You know, so I, I don't think it matters at all. I should say, I, I, to me, it's just a mindset thing. Like, I don't think it really matters which agency it is. I think what matters is the result that they're helping you get. Mm -hmm. And and that could be, you know, it doesn't have to be Paradigm or William. I mean, it could be, it could be a smaller, you know, I have clients that are repped with smaller agencies or smaller managers, and they're still going out for great roles and getting great auditions. So it's really like, let go of the name of the agency. Don't worry about that. Really worry about the results. I mean, obviously some of the bigger agencies are going to have maybe more well-known relationships with casting directors and things like that. But I still think it's, it's, it should be results oriented. You know, that's what you should focus on. Yeah. So then it, for, for people who are coming in, starting with those young agencies, do you rec, okay, to kind of take it back, do you recommend people reach out to agents first or try to reach out for auditions themselves or like, how would, 
uh, if if you go the auditions first, how would you recommend that they get auditions themselves versus having to go through an agent? Well, essentially, I mean, the way it works in LA, it, essentially you can't get auditions on your own unless you have um, prior relationships. You know, I, I have had, I did have a client once get many auditions for a pretty big network show because she had a relationship with the casting director and they really liked her. So they kept bringing her in. So that's something you can absolutely do. And you should be trying to work on those relationships regardless if you have representation. I think that once you get representation, that doesn't mean you stop working. So um, you should be working on creating your own relationships with producers and directors and casting directors um, as well. You know, casting directors, a lot of them offer workshops, which are a really great way to get in front of them and start to get to know them as a human being and, you know, have them get to know you as a person. Um, so that's really great. But for the most part, you know, agents and managers are the only ones that have access to the network um, listings. So, you know, the breakdown. So when you're just starting out, like I always say, like you can get on Actors Access and LA Casting and, you know, like work on non-union projects and get experience, build up your resume, um, you know, really get the confidence that you need so that when you do get that network audition, you feel confident that you can kill it. Um, and then you can work on getting representation. So then when when someone is like reaching out and kind of applying for all these, especially like actors, applying for different roles, like how can you get more auditions and more callbacks? And um, what are some key aspects to make that happen? Well, so getting auditions, I think there's always two ways to get auditions. One is from your agent or manager and or both. And the other is from your own personal connections. And along the lines of your own personal connections, they could, you know, a casting director could see you perform in something else. They could see you in another show and be like, oh, I really liked her. I think she'd be great. Or he did such a good job. And then call you in that way. Um, so I think that, you, you know, you can't really control the quantity of auditions that your agent or manager gets you. That's on them. But you can control the relationships that you create to help bring in more auditions. Um, you can also be super proactive, you know, like read deadline, you know, read the trades. And if you see certain shows that you would love to be on or new, new shows that are coming out or new roles that are coming out, um, you know, like I have clients who even with um, agents and managers, they might see a role come up where they're like, oh my gosh, I think I would be perfect for that. I'd love to audition. And then they reach out to the casting director directly if they already know them, if they've auditioned for them before or anything like that. Um, and then ask if they can send in a tape. And sometimes they'll say no, and sometimes they'll say yes. Um, so, so that's a really big piece, you know, really making those connections yourself. Another thing is like, when you do get an audition, you know, they say, I hate to like throw out these cliche terms, but they say book the room, not the role. And the idea is that if you do a really great job and just show them everything you can do, even if it's not right for the role, they will remember you and bring you back for something else, whether it's for that same show or for another project that they're working on. Um, you know, I have one friend who has done very well in this industry and has booked a ton of shows with that exact strategy. He just goes in and he does the best job that he can do. Even if it's not right for the role, he books the room and they remember him. They remember choices he made and they're like, oh, this is not right for this. But, you know, a month later, they're working on another show and they're like, oh my God, remember that guy that did X, Y, and Z? So um, that can really help you, you know, get called in for more auditions. That's great. That's mm -hmm. some awesome advice. Yeah, so um, all of these people and filmmakers and actors that are wanting to get into the industry, obviously right now it's a little bit difficult with Corona. You know, what, what do you, how do you coach your clients when, during this pandemic, what do you tell them to do and how do you stay active when there's not a lot going on in the industry? So one thing that I humbly learned 
I shouldn't say I learned it. I didn't learn it from the first time. I was kind of reminded during this pandemic is that absolutely anything is possible. And when you decide that your story is there's a pandemic, Hollywood shut down, Broadway shut down. I'm not going to book anything. Obviously nothing's even happening. When that is your story, you are hundred percent going to live that story. You're, you know, you're going to close yourself off from opportunities, but there is really cool things that are happening right now. And throughout this whole pandemic, for example, I don't know if you guys know Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper is a comedian and she blew up on social media during the pandemic and got her own Netflix special, like while Hollywood was shut down. Right. And so if she went into it and was like, well, Hollywood shut down, can't do anything. I'm just going to sit on my couch and wait for it to open. That would have never happened. So, you know, and I think like there's other, I, I always shout out like Caitlin Riley, like her account on Instagram completely blew up and she got really amazing opportunities. Um, you know, I keep talking about the Bridgerton musical that's happening on TikTok right now that is so cool. So I think that it's really important to approach the pandemic or any other time where it might be challenging and to say, I truly believe that anything is possible. How can I pivot? How can I get creative? What do I wanna do right now with this time? You know, I do feel that social media even though it obviously has so many downsides, I, I do think that it is, I, I call it, it's like free television. Like you want to be on TV? You, you can go be on Instagram. You can be, go be on TikTok. You can go be on uh, YouTube, right? You, you can go, you know, act your butt off or write something or direct something and put it out there on social media. The only big difference, well, besides budget, you know, but you can just hold the camera to your face and do something. The only big difference is that if you're booking something, that studio or that show is validating you. They're saying you're good enough, we choose you, you get to be on our show. But when you're posting something on social media, you have to choose yourself. And so I think that is what holds people back. People want this external validation. Um, but I just think that during the pandemic or other challenging times, there is so much opportunity that does exist even when it feels like nothing exists. And there's, there's just countless or er, examples right now of this playing out. Um, you know, Sarah Cooper, not only getting that amazing Netflix special, she also ended up doing the opening monologue for one of the late night shows, I forget which one now. Um, you know, so, so many cool things happen even when Hollywood was shut down. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And you're right, there are still opportunities that people can, can pick up, um, especially if you work really hard. But uh, the pandemic still, like, it, it makes it kind of harder to just go out there and do everything. And it also makes it harder to kind of meet with people and stuff like that. So on a more personal level, how do you deal with like stress, especially right now? I mean, I've had my fair share of that this pandemic. Like, <laughs> Haven't we all? I've, I mean, I'm an introvert, so I love staying home by myself, but I have struggled a lot. And the thing that has helped me the most is getting outside and being in nature. Like I drive down to the ocean at least once or twice or once a week, twice a week. Um, I meant to say <laughs> once a week or every two weeks, whatever. Frequently, I drive down to the ocean um, you might not have access to an ocean, maybe you have access to a forest or trees or I don't know, a nature path or something. I, I just think that um, being in nature and getting out of my house has really, really helped me. And, you know, there's something about too, the ocean is this huge, vast thing. And it just kind of makes all my problems melt away. And it's like, oh yeah, like everything's going to be okay. So that personally has helped me a lot. Um, you know, connecting with friends, I, I, you know, I'm kind of zoomed out to be honest, <laughs> doing so many zooms. I mean, I think it's better than nothing to be able to see people on camera and communicate with them. But yeah, for me, it's, it's really been nature that has helped me. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way too, is like 
And I think that's true for like every human is that like, there's just that connection with nature that pulls you back to reality. Um, and even beyond it in a good way. But what are you talking about? Concrete is so beautiful. <laughs> Architecture can be awesome too, but it just you doesn't know how have... many people do you, do you know how many people die in the and get lost in the forest? You know people like, how many people die in the city? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um there's lots of different things that that stress us out in the industry. One of the things that I think is really stressful is competition amongst your peers. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you keep motivated when you've got a lot of talented people that are tr- doing the same thing that you are and stay stay motivated to to try to keep up the work and yeah, I phrased that question really dumb, but that's my question. Oh, no, it's good. I got it. Um, you know, I, like this is like I do really deep mindset work with my clients and this is where your belief system is so crucial because you have to believe in yourself and believe that you can have whatever you want, regardless of what anyone else around you is doing. You know, I know people say stay in your lane, but it's true. Like somebody else succeeding next to you will never take away what's meant for you. So just because other people are succeeding, other people maybe are doing it faster than you. And that can be really frustrating. Um, it doesn't take away anything from you. It doesn't mean that you can't have the success too. It doesn't mean that your time isn't coming. And so you really, you really have to tune all of that out and understand there is room for everybody. You are on your own path. You are your own unique person. You know, that's another thing too. Sometimes we like to um, like transfer dreams, you know, oh, like, oh, what they have, I could have. But really you can only have the things that are so specific and unique for you that you are going to be right for. Um, you know, if you're in front of the camera, this could be like, you know, a role that you are right for that is just so you more so than anybody else behind the camera. It could be, you know, people that want to work with you. And then because of what your talent brings to a specific project. So it's really about believing in yourself and your unique gifts and looking at yourself as a unique person as like, I am not just like a, a copy of some other people in the industry. I am I'm Erica Wernick. I am myself. I'm nobody else and nobody else can offer what I offer. Awesome. That's really cool. That's really good advice. And I think, yeah, like everybody has their own. And we, we've talked about this before on the podcast too, is finding your niche and, and working within that because no one else can be your niche. Because people might go, oh, like, what's my niche? Like your niche. And I feel like I call it niche. Your niche, your niche could be your personality. It could be your style. It could be the way that you look at the world. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a certain genre or a certain category or a box that you fit into. You know, your uniqueness can be your who you are as a person. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and kind of speaking of like fitting in to boxes or being pushed into boxes, I guess. How do you avoid like being typecasted? Um and kind of along those lines too is kind of a two question for one. When do you feel like you should say no to to a role in general? When you don't want to do it. <laughs> I think, you yeah. know, because the thing is is that People are afraid to say no because they believe that no other opportunity is going to come again. Like we like to think that opportunities are so rare that we have to say yes to anything that comes our way because it may never come our way again. And Abraham Hicks has this quote that is my favorite that I always repeat to my clients where they say, people think that they get to the dock and they miss their boat, but there is always another one coming. So if you can believe that opportunities are endless and there's always going to be another opportunity, then you don't have to be afraid to say no to something that you don't want to do. You know, one of my clients, um, she's an actress. We, we worked on this for a long time. She had already been on TV a lot, like 50 episodes of television or something. 
And she had done a lot of work at the co-star level, the recurring co-star level, and she had to up-level her representation. And so we worked on that. And then once she got the better representation, then we had to work on, okay, now you got to figure out what you're going to say no to. And she said no to a lot, like so much, because she was really clear on what her next level it was and what she wanted. And, you know, if it was a casting director she had never been in for, then she would go do it because it's a great opportunity to start a new relationship and get in front of a new casting director. Um, but I do think that, you know, as much as we feel the victim in the whole box situation where we feel forced and pushed into these boxes, when, when we go along with it, we are perpetuating that problem. So, you know, I don't believe in boxes. I don't think anyone, actors, anyone I work with, nobody like wants to be in a box. Nobody, nobody enjoys only doing one thing, especially artists, you know, we're creative people. So I think it's up to us to help stop perpetuating that story that you have to fit in a box by taking an active role in, in turning things down and not even just in saying no, but also to help guide your reps or help, you know, guide your own career with what you want to say yes to and get really clear on what that looks like. Yeah, no, um, I hopefully one day we'll get to a point where, you know, get the opportunity to say, nah, sorry, I don't want you. Uh, um, so if you're at that point, congratulations, I'd be excited about that point. But um, there's people right now that are at a point where they are, instead of going out for agents and stuff like that, they're trying to build their network through festivals. Um, so what do you think about fest? And this is gonna be a couple question. Um, what do you think about festivals? And then what do you do after you've already submitted to festivals? Maybe you've gotten some awards from festivals. Like, what do you do after all of that to continue and progress in your career? I think festivals are awesome. I think they are one good thing. I don't think they are the good thing. You know, a lot of people like to think as the festival as their ticket. And it doesn't always work that way. You know, I talked to a client who was like, oh yeah, my friend won Sundance last year and they did not get distribution. Like, what the hell? You know, so I think that um, festivals are really great. They're, they're really great to meet people and connect with people. I went to Sundance for my first time last year. Um, I, and so I think that's awesome. But again, like I, did, I never think that any single thing is the thing. I, I, it's always gonna be a combination. It's never gonna be just one thing. It's gonna be a combination of things. And, you know, I, one thing I teach is inspired strategy. So it's like, you have your base foundation strategy, all of the tangible things that everybody else is doing. And on top of that, you have inspired strategy, what, what you, what you feel inspired to do. So where do you feel led, you know, as a creative person, what are you inspired to do? Are you inspired to do a festival? Awesome. Then go do it. You know, let your intuition guide you. But I think it's more about like, I don't know, my intuition is telling me to go to Sundance this year, you know, and just kind of doing that. Um, and so that I think is always going to lead you to where you need to be um, in terms of like, what do I do if I've won awards or gotten placements or anything? I would market the shit out of it. You know, anytime you have something that you can brag about, you want to brag about it in terms of where can I market myself and tell people this, you know, like it just, it just helps you, you know, like when my book, you know, when my book was first released that first week, it hit number three in a category and it was number one new release in three categories. I marketed the shit out of that. I took screenshots. I posted it everywhere. I let everybody know. And it just built up the momentum. So I think that um, you always want to use that to reach out to contacts, reach out to agents and managers, um, mar just market the shit out of it, even on your own social media, like keep talking about it, keep celebrating it. Um, I think that's important. Awesome. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned those few aspects of like, keep reaching out to people, keep selling it and all of that. Um, and we talked a, a little bit earlier about um, like networking. Um, but if you wanted to expand specifically on like how to network, um, 
you know, like network yourself and, and connect with other people. Uh, did you have anything more to say about that? Uh, just like connecting with anyone. I guess like, um, kind of, uh, let's say, let's say you're reaching out like with, uh, cold emails, you know, um, what would be the proper way to, to, to do that and not just have somebody skim over it? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. The three B's I call it the three B's, um, be brief, be complimentary and be specific. So you want to, you want the email to be short because if someone opens it and they visually see a lot of text, they may not respond at all. And it's not because they hate you or they're mad at you. They're just going to go, oh, this is long. I can't respond to this in two minutes. I will save it for later. And then they'll forget and they'll get busy because it's not a top priority for them at all. So you really want to keep your email short. And when I say short, I mean, visually short, like you want it to look short. So I'll, I'll hit a space or an enter after every like two or three sentences. So there's a lot of white space um, because then it'll look less heavy and someone can skim it really quickly and go, oh, that's short enough. I can read that quickly. So number one is be brief. Number two, compliment the person that you are emailing in a specific way. This is particularly good if you're emailing someone that does the same craft as you. I think it's really helpful if you can compliment something that shows you speak the language of that craft. So if you're a cinematographer, compliment another cinematographer in a way that an actor would never do because they don't know the terms or they don't know the language of a cinematography. Um, you know, really get specific. So, you know, like for a graphic designer, for me, someone might say like, oh my gosh, like that typeface that you used on that poster that got so much screen time. You know, I use that typeface all the time. You know, like something really specific that a non-graphic designer might not say because that will catch their attention. They'll go, oh, okay, because it's really easy to go, oh, I, I loved this movie that you did and be super general. And it just comes across as less sincere and it comes across as like, oh yeah, this person's just cool. They liked it, their email. You know, it, it doesn't come across as like sincere and it can come across as like your mass emailing. And so you really wanna be specific to the person, like research the person you're sending something out to, try to compliment them in a specific way. And then the third B is to be specific. And so that is, ask a question. I always say, don't ask more than like one to three questions. I feel like one to two is really good. Ask something specific. Do not ask, do you have any advice? Because that is a very vague question and it will give you a very vague response that will not actually help you. You know, someone says to me, Erica, I want to move to LA and work in Hollywood. Do you have any advice? I could be like, yes, be persistent, never give up. And that's advice, you know, but it's probably not gonna really you know of course they know that that's not really gonna help them maybe what they really want to know is erica how do i make connections when i'm starting from scratch you know what i mean so so ask a question that is super specific that someone could answer in two minutes or less because when you ask something that someone can answer very quickly because it's so specific uh they're much more likely to write you back and you know responding opens the door you know now you you know like there's um there's this one agent well she's retired now because she moved on to a different part of her career, but she's incredible and very high level. And I was kind of obsessed with her when I was starting my book process. And I wanted to reach out to her, but I didn't have a door open. And so I'll tell you a little sneaky thing I did. I meant it, but it was a little sneaky. I, someone reached out to me to do this like article to, for, for women who want to talk about other women they look up to. And so I picked her and I wrote this whole little thing about how I think she's amazing. And then when it was published, I posted on Instagram and tagged her. And she saw it and she just wrote, you know, wrote a little smiley face back and that was it. 
But once she writes me a smiley face back, now I'm in her inbox and not in that other inbox. So now any other time I message her, she will see it. And so that was my open door. And so later, months, months later, when I was looking for an agent, I left her a voice message on Instagram. And I was like, hey, I know you're kind of out of my league, but I'm looking for an agent. I was for XYZ project. I was wondering if you um, knew anyone to recommend. And she was like, yes, reach out to this person and gave me their email address. And she was a stranger, you know, but getting someone to write back in any kind of form opens the door for future communication. Is there any point in your, like, when you're sending out emails that certain people should have like a cover letter um, that they need to send out with them? And if so, like what goes into a successful cover letter? I think it depends. If you're just trying to like form connections, I wouldn't send any attachments because if somebody gets an email from a stranger with an attachment, it's going to go to their spam or they're not going to open it. So I wouldn't do that on the first email when you're trying to make connections. I think that you always want to make it easier for them and, and don't send them anything unless they ask or unless you ask them later, you know, in the next email, oh, can I send you a cover letter or whatever? Um, I've been written a cover letter since college. <laughs> so like in 13 years, I don't know if that's as much of a thing in the entertainment industry. Maybe if you're applying to like a more corporate job at a studio or something like that, that could be a thing. Um, but I don't think like, I don't know, like my clients aren't doing formal uh, cover letters. They are like when they reach out to reps, they are, um, they do attach their uh, resume and their headshot, but they will make sure to just put personality in the email. So it's not a dry email that the same, like that every other actor in the world could send the same exact email. You know, they brag about themselves a little bit and, you know, explain why they are worthy of representation essentially. Um, and they, I, you know, I tell them like, try to show a little bit of personality, tell them something about yourself, show some personality in the way that you speak, um, just so that it's not a dry email that any other actor could have sent. Yeah, that's really cool advice. So as you know, we're kind of working through a, a list of specific questions we got from the forum. So as a total 180 to what we were talking about earlier, uh, I had one that was um, went about moving to one of these film cities to really start your career. If you're a screenwriter, is it less important to move to those cities, especially like if you're, if you're writing great scripts and sending those off to the production companies, um, since that can be a little bit more remote? Um, like, does it affect uh, screenwriters as much? And do you think that there would be a huge uh, difference with moving to one of these film cities as a writer? I mean, look, yeah, writers sit at home by themselves and write. And the, like, anything is possible. I think especially as a screenwriter, you can certainly send things off. For me, it's like from an energetic perspective. I think you you feel the energy, you feel the buzz. You, you just have, I, I think that there's, you know, as the Avenue Q song says, there's life outside your apartment. You know, I think that it's only going to help you to be in a film city. I, mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely 100% possible to build a career um, outside of a film city as a screenwriter, but I do think it will help you. You know, like sometimes I'll take my client, like one of my clients, um, he, he was work, he's working on building his own talk show. So one day I took him to Paramount Studios when Dr. Phil wasn't filming and we went to the set and he got to like stand, stand in that talk show set, you know? And so like opportunities like that can't happen when you're in your apartment in Oklahoma writing a mm -hmm. script. So can it happen? Yes, you can totally do that. I think that from an energetic standpoint, it's so much more beneficial to be where things are happening. So how, how would you um, coach your clients into consistently improving their craft? I don't care about that. <laughs> you, you want them to be consistently worse? Uh, yeah, I just want them to suck. I want them to be terrible. No, 
I mean, I, I will be honest, the people that I work with are doing that naturally. You know, like I'm working with high achievers. Like at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to be good at what you do. But the law of attraction doesn't give a crap if you're good at what you do. And there's proof because have you ever watched a TV show and you're like, oh, that actor's not very good. Or have you ever listened to a song on the radio and thought, oh, that singer's not very good. Like people that aren't amazing at their talent also get through. And so um, I think the, the mindset and the strategy pieces are so much more important. I think that um, if you're a high achiever, which you really need to be to be succeeding in an industry like Hollywood, you're going to be working at your craft all the time anyway. I think that, you know, like all my clients are still in classes all the time. You know, the, the only clients of mine that aren't consistently in class anymore are the ones that have been doing this for like 15 years and they just do it when they feel like they need it, you know, but sometimes they feel like they've outgrown a lot of the classes here. So, you know, I, you're the only person that can really truly judge how confident you feel in your craft. And so for me, it's like so much more about the confidence um, than what, you know, you're actually doing. But like, yes, you, you should be working on your craft all the time. You, you know, you want to be winning Oscars, Emmys, like you, you need to be good at what you do. Um, but I think that you're the only person that can really truly judge where you think you are. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, before we transition into our next segment of a little simulation with you and Jasper here, oh, sweet. Um, <laughs> I did want to give you an opportunity to really plug your book right now. Tell us what it is about yeah. it. It was just recently released. Um, I, I'm not yet finished with it. Uh, still got a little bit to go, but I absolutely loved it. And the reason why I loved it was, um, because uh, it is very conversational. It's not just sitting there and here's the facts of Hollywood and this is how it works. It's, it's stories, it's examples, it's quotes, it's some of the movies that I've seen. It's you cussing. It's, it's just, it's just a fun read and you just get it to it pretty quick and so i i do recommend it for personally my review i do recommend it for anybody um who just just wants a fun read or in this case needs the the push and motivation um to to know that they're meant for this so uh why don't you just go ahead and plug your book thank you thank you so much for that it's so i, I didn't even realize that you were still like that you were reading i mean i know i sent it to you but <laughs> forgot that you guys have it um thank you so much seriously i love that you know, I was just telling my friend that I was really afraid for people to read the book because I grew up learning that I'm not a sophisticated writer. I had a teacher tell me that when I was in high school and, you know, I didn't write the way that my peers wrote in a very sophisticated way. And I write like I talk. I write like I talk. And so I was so afraid for people to read it that when, when early readers, you know, like I had a friend or two read it early before it came out and I would give a warning. I write like I talk. I just want you to know I write like, like I felt like I had to warn people so that they weren't disappointed in like how badly it was written or something. Um, but, you know, I've learned, I feel like that's just a good, you know, a good story in itself to know that whatever, however, whatever your voice is or whatever you do that might be different than some other people, it doesn't mean that it's less valuable. Like it doesn't, you know, just because I'm not a sophisticated writer, it doesn't mean the book doesn't bring value to somebody. Um, and so I just wanted to share that because I feel like that was a, a good, valuable lesson. Um, but yes, the book is called meant for this, the mindset and strategy to achieve your most impossible dreams. Um, and it's really the system that I've been using with my clients over the past five or six years. I mean, it's basically everything I ever talk about with my clients, um, on how to succeed in Hollywood. I mean, it's really for any dreamer, any artist, any person with a big goal, 
So it really goes way beyond Hollywood, but there's a lot of Hollywood examples. I share, share a lot of personal stories. Um, and you know, I really believe that this is the book that's missing in this industry. So if you are interested in making it in Hollywood or pursuing your dreams in any way, um, go get my book. It's on Amazon. It's on any other uh, online retailer. You can check it out at meantforthisbook.com. Are you planning on doing an audiobook at some point? Yes. And actually, for anyone who orders it, if you email me your receipt, erica at hollywoodsuccesscoach.com, I wrote a bonus chapter that I will email to you in a PDF form and audio form. So there's already an audio version of the bonus chapter. And I'm in the middle of recording the audiobook. It's just taking a very, very long time. It probably won't be available until the end of the year, unfortunately. But yes, um, 100% audio. Everyone keeps telling me because the book is so conversational. It sounds like I'm talking to you that I really need to do it. So you can get a taste of it on, on the bonus chapter. Yeah, I could cool. just I could definitely just hear your voice just reading through it. I, I I don't want you when you're doing it, I don't want you to bleep out, you know, the cuss oh, words no, that you've leaked out in the book. Out. I want you to just go hammer like <laughs> I mean you might have heard her voice. I definitely heard Morgan Freeman's voice talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, as like Morgan Freeman as God or Morgan Freeman as Morgan Freeman? Morgan Freeman as in like the penguins Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh and she was mating in the studio. I can't do a Morgan Freeman voice, but um, one more thing. Um, why don't you also take this time to promote your podcast a little bit too? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I have a podcast, <laughs> Hollywood Success Podcast. Uh, over 100 episodes. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify. Um, and I think there's one other place. But basically, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to it. And um, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's more of the, about this. It's, it's a lot of mindset work. Um, I interview people. It's it's anything that you need to help motivate you and keep going in Hollywood. Awesome. Uh, I believe last I saw it was 319. So your 100 is a little bit off. Oh, but, yeah. Well, yeah. Th episode 390. Yeah, I know. It's great. Well, because now <laughs> I'm doing seasons. And so I, I the seasons are numbered like TV shows. So 301. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I feel I feel stupid, so I'm sorry. Oh, well, but it is over 100. It's I, I don't know if I've hit 200 yet. I'm not sure. Okay. But season three of Hollywood Success. Yeah, because before that, it was LA Bound. I had this other business. It still exists, LABoundGuide.com, where it was a book about how to move to LA. So my podcast used to be like about how to move to LA. And congrats on the podcast, too. Like, that's, that's a lot of episodes. Like, I think we're coming up on not even 20 yet here, but I, I know how much work it is. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So without further ado, I think everybody's super excited. I know Jasper is about this little simulation that we're going to go through. Um, Here we go. So yeah, let's, I don't know how you started, but I'll let you go ahead and start. I mean, we're doing a simulation. Do I need like my 3D uh, goggles? <laughs> if that's what you wear with a client, we want the real experience. We want, we want the listeners to get a real experience. I mean, we could all just be a simulation anyway. <laughs> we could. We really could. Okay. Let's not go so, into that. Like, <laughs> Uh, first off, if I want to be a real cinematographer, do you have any general advice for me? A real cinematographer or a fake one? <laughs> I was hoping you'd catch on to the general advice I did, thing. <laughs> and, I, and I flew right by it and, and yeah. right down on that real adjective there. <laughs> yeah, I've got some real good advice for real cinematographers. Just be persistent, <laughs> be yourself, believe in yourself, keep going. Cool. That was a great simulation. Thank you very much. That, that's my coaching. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, that'll be $300. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, for real though, uh, how, how would you kind of start, I guess? Okay. Well, Jasper, tell me, tell me what your like 
what's your next goal? What are you working towards? What do you want to make happen? Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, with the Dissolve Media, um, with this guy and, and a couple others, uh, we are filming a web series, really, but it's like it's more of a concept. The 10 minute episodes, 10 episodes that we're making right now um, as a concept for to be able to like get funding to make it into a real show. And and so basically kind of the, the next step that I would want to do, because I have a lot of content that I've made and I know that I'm knowledgeable enough to take quite a few more steps uh, in my career and I have the portfolio for it. So it would just be getting in contact with like producers and getting funding for shows. Okay. Do you have representation? No. Okay. Um, and you're in Texas? Oh, we're in Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. We are making the, yeah, we are making the transition actually out to Vegas in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Let's back up for a second. Tell me what the ultimate dream is. Okay. I wouldn't say I have like a very specific ultimate dream. Um, it, it would really just be continuing to work in this space and get as far as I can. Um, and so really it's just being a working DP. Um, and whether that stay within um, the, the indie realm or go to like full Hollywood, I mean, really it'd be like working with the Dissolve team and having our own production company that's just that never has to worry about getting the next gig, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so you don't mind if you're doing indie stuff or if you're in the union world? Yeah, correct. Okay. Um, so you don't care necessarily about how much money you make? Well, I mean, it'd be nice not to worry about money, but. <laughs> okay. Well, because um, like the paycheck for an indie job is going to be pretty different from like the paycheck from a studio. For sure. For sure. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I guess like, yeah, that like ultimately, like once, once I get there, it'd be nice to have those much larger roles. Okay. Um, cool. I mean, it doesn't really matter either way. You know, I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great goal to work towards. You know, I think that see when I was saying, you know, in the beginning of this about how everyone is so similar, like everybody wants to be a working fill in the blank. You know, you want to be a working DP. Okay. Yeah. You want to be a working actor. I yeah. think that, um, you know, everybody kind of has that same desire and there's so many different paths to which you can make that happen. And so, you know, you're taking one path right now. Um, through a specific project, right? One specific project. And so that mm. is one avenue that you can pursue. And, and I think that that, you know, that's a great avenue to pursue. Um, I think that you also want to open yourself up to the idea of like, it's never one thing. Like it's never going to be one project or one specific contact or, you know, like it, it's going to be so many different things. Like I always tell, like, especially writers or directors, you know, um, like writers, you know, who put all their eggs in one basket, they put all their eggs in one script, you know, they work on one script for like six years. And then what, what if that doesn't sell? And then they put all this time, you know, so I think it's good to be thinking about multiple, pro you know, like, not that you have to do them all at once, but just to sort of think of yourself as an evolving, you know, creative person. Um, I think that I feel I, I'm like, I'm, since I'm so on the spot with this podcast, I'm like, I'm like trying to pump up some strategic things, but that's not really how I start with my clients. So do you want to, do you want to do this? How I really start with my clients? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, the absolutely. goal would be potentially for anybody who listens to this to reach out to you and just be like, well, Hey there, I listened to this and I want to be a client. Okay. So, so this is like legitimately what I do with my high-end clients in a personal session. All right. Everything that you just said, I have them like write it out, write it out as a bulleted list of like, what's everything that you would love to happen in your career? Right. So you've talked about having a production company that has a like builds a really good reputation so that 
you know, you're consistently working on new scripts that excite you guys. You know, you're working as a DP and doing that kind of work as well consistently. Um, you're working on projects that you care about and you're working with cool people. You know, you like write down all of these things that you want to happen. And then I have you make another list, which maybe you can just verbalize to me a little bit. And I say, okay, now that you have this dream, all these things that you want, now I want you to tell me all of the fears and doubts you have about that dream. Mm. Okay. It's getting a little personal. I'm uncomfortable. No. Um, <laughs> it should be. <laughs> I mean, any fears or hesitations that I have kind of are very situational um, in the sense that I guess there is also kind of um, an overall aspect of knowing that it's like nothing is guaranteed, you know, and it's definitely not easy. And, uh, and you can work super hard, but there is at least some aspect of luck, um, at least for how quickly you grow. Well, like, do you fear it'll never happen? Do you fear that you're not really good enough to get that far? Do you fear that you'll never get to that level? Do you fear that moving to Vegas will be like a big disappointment? Like what, what, what are the doubts and the fears that really run through mm -hmm. your mind? I would say I'm an optimistic nihilist <laughs> where I, I take like reality as it is, but knowing that I'm a hard worker and, and understanding myself, like, hold on, let me back up. Um, Tell me why you chose Vegas and not a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's say like LA, right? I mean, one, it, it can be expensive unless like you can move to the outskirts of, of LA and, and all that um, and, and save some money, but really like Las Vegas in that sense um, also would allow us to have a lot of um, client opportunities um, because it's focused around tourism and the casinos and everything and all the cool businesses there. Um, but it's also just a larger city and it's uh, like equidistant from most of the, the larger cities on the west side of the U.S. So you have like uh, Salt Lake City and L.A. and even Portland's not that far away. So the reason why I asked you this and why I think this is a good question to start off this fear question is because you, it's a total fear-based decision that you made to move to Vegas, right? Because everything that you're telling me, these are stories that you've made up about what the L.A. experience is and why you don't deserve to be in L.A. right now, right? And so you're seeing Vegas as a stepping stone and you're using all of these fear-based reasons as justification. I mean, this is what our mind does, right? It takes our fears and it uses it as justification as legitimate reasons. LA is so full of entertainment industry people. Why would you not wanna be around them and start building your connections and be more immersed in the industry that you want to be in, right? So it's like your, your mind, this is what happens. And this is why the fear conversation is so important to have in, in my first coaching session with my clients because our fears drive our decisions. And so we, what we want to do is we want to build a new belief system that's going to support the dreams that we really want. You know, because when you told me the list of dreams that you wanted, you never said, I would love to create projects for tourism, right? But your mind is going, oh, but like, maybe that's a way we can make money. And that's a reason why I should move to Vegas. Like you start using your fears to justify taking a step back or, or doing something that isn't really directly where you want to be. And it's not even about LA. It could be, you know, any of those film cities that I said but the fear is driving that decision. You're not going, I believe in myself. I know I can make it. I don't need to have a Rolodex of contacts to move to Los Angeles. You know, I'm a great example. I mean, granted it was 13 years ago, but I knew nobody. I knew like three people in the city and none of them well. So, you know, your mind is creating all of these reasons why you shouldn't be taking this bigger leap because it's scary, you know, and because you don't know if you would make it and because you see examples of other people moving and maybe it not working out for them or whatever. 
Um, but you don't know what tools they had. You don't know, you know, what their mindset was in their journey. You know, you don't know every single strategic move that they've made because what I have found being in this industry for so long, like the people that I know who work really fucking hard and are incredibly consistent and have a really solid mindset where they believe in themselves and they have a positive mindset about everything, all of them work. And like those people don't not make, quote unquote, make it. So do you see what I'm saying? How like, mm -hmm. this is a fear-based decision and your fears are driving this decision? Yeah, I think, um, and I think that's true for a lot of people, um, like, because it, it just, once you get in that mindset of like being down about it, that kind of drives everything else. I would say for me personally, it, it's not even that I'm like, I, like nothing makes me scared about it. I, I kind of mentioned those things, but, but really like it, it's more of the financial like leap that that would be. So how do you support yourself right now in Nebraska? So you have a, they have a day job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do as well. I, I'm a, a job coach for a, um, a company that deals with um, people with uh, disabilities that try to That's fucking awesome. need help with getting their job. You can't do that. You can't do that remotely. Is it an, only an in-person thing? It, it does have to be an in-person thing. Yeah. Okay. So so here, like, this is such a good conversation. I hope you're open. Again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like push you, but I think this conversation is so helpful. I hope I'm hoping it'll help other people and yourself. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm telling you all of this because I'm rooting for you and I want you to win. Um, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but the, the story that you can't support yourself financially in Los Angeles is also a story because look at like every other creative person in LA has a day job and has to support themselves. And we all find a way. Why can't you? And especially if you have, um, if you have any technical skills, like there's so many, like there's, you know, freelance, like Fiverr. Oh my gosh. I have clients, like I have a client who makes a full-time living on Fiverr doing voiceovers. You know, there's so many websites that have like freelance kind of things that are great for, if you have any kind of technical skills, it, you know, the job that you're doing now, I'm sure those skills can translate to another company. Like if you tried to research it, maybe another company in LA that does something similar. If you had the belief system of, I want to be in LA. That's where my dreams are. I believe that anything can happen. I know I can do this. Your mind would start be looking for solutions rather than problems. So instead of seeing, I can't make money in LA and it'll be too expensive and too hard. You could go, wow, I bet there's so many ways that I can make money in LA. I can't wait to like find my day job. And maybe I'll try to find it before I move out. Or, I'll, you know, like in my LA bound book, like I always tell people to save up a certain amount of money before you come out. So you've got like, you know, you can pay for your apartment and maybe you've got a couple months of rent and, you know, utilities. So you save up a bunch of money so that you have a couple months to find a job. Um, but it's all about if I believe in myself and my potential to succeed, then I will believe opportunities and solutions exist rather than problems. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, of course you're capable of making money in LA. Like, look how smart and awesome you guys are having these cool jobs where you are now. And you, you know, you were able to find that just because LA is a different city or a more expensive city or whatever, you are still totally capable of doing the same thing in another, in LA. Like you, you can totally find a job. You can find a way to support yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody else does. What makes you so special that you can't? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's good. Do you feel like people have to maybe get a, a second job or get a higher paying job um, and hope for that? When they, when they move to LA to, to support themselves? I think you need a day job that will pay for your bills so that you can live. So you can feed yourself and, you know, have your cell phone bill and your rent and everything, you know, so that you can comfortably live. That also, from a mindset space, allows you to prioritize the dream and still work on the dream. 
You know, like when you're trying to think about, oh, how can I get promoted at my day job? When you're thinking about how can I get promoted at my day job, you're no longer prioritizing your dream. You're thinking of ways to get ahead in the day job instead of ways to get ahead, you know, in the dream. You know, I think that, you know, your day job, maybe you have to work 40 hours a week. And, and I know that can be exhausting and tiring. So you want to find something that still allows the mental space, even if you can only work a couple hours a week on your dream, if you can still have the mental space to make it your priority and like maybe set some goals for yourself, like, okay, this week, by the end of this week, I'm going to have this done. Whether I do it four hours in one day or half hour one day, half, you know, spread it out. Um, but just so that you're able to mentally focus on the dream and make it happen. So like I, the day job is just to like keep you afloat financially and keep you in LA and, you know, be able to pay your bills and eat and stuff. It's, it's really doesn't have to serve any other purpose than that because you want to be able to make the dream still a priority in your mind. So then like, let's say we move to LA and, and, and we do that and, um, and we're working towards our dreams. What, what would be that next step after moving there? Well, I think they'd be good like to figure out some sort of day job situation or make sure that you have a certain amount of money saved up so that you have like a cushion, you know, maybe you have three months or so to try to find something. And if I were you, I'd probably also like even post on Craigslist that you're a cinematographer, you know, like, cause people are going to be looking for that. And you could probably book a lot of gigs that way, doing what you actually love to do. It might not be your dream projects yet, um, but you might be able to pay your bills that way. And you could also, um, start branching out with connections. And this is still like, I'm still thinking about you making money and like the, the projects that you're started working on. Like I, I would continue with those as well with expanding with connections, but you know, you could start looking at non-union projects and um, you know, start looking like, so IMDB pro has a feature where you can sort um, current productions by city. And so you can sort current productions by LA. And then I would just look people up on those productions and see if they have a DP yet, you know, on like non-union stuff and really try to start building relationships and connections with people in the non-union world. So you can start, you know, getting jobs as a DP even, you know, um, and as long as I think, you know, I have a portfolio and whatnot and you can, um, you know, you can interview and someone show someone your work. I think you could totally start getting, you know, working towards getting jobs that way. And I'm sure Brad has a lot of um, uh, good information for you there, you know, because he does exactly that. But like, even so, like reaching out to other cinematographers that you find on IMDb that aren't necessarily doing the big stuff. Um, or you could also reach out to cinematographers that are doing the big stuff and say, hey, are you looking for anyone in, in your camera department? You know, an AC or, you know, I, I don't know if you have to be in, a, in the union to be an AC, um, but they might have a camera PA or whatever. And like, what if you got to be like a PA in the camera department on Sony's next big feature? You know, so I think that I would probably also pursue that route. And then simultaneously, not to overwhelm you with a million things, you don't have to do all these at the same time, but with the projects that you already have going that you're really excited about, I would continue working on them. And I would start to, you know, cold reach out to people in Los Angeles, you know, in here, there's also a lot of Facebook groups um, in LA. Like I know there's a bunch of ones that um, Brad invited to me, me too, in Houston, Texas and other places, but there's a bunch in LA where you can start to connect with people there too, and like doing meetups and um, there's just so many ways, you know, that you can start meeting people. And I would work on connecting with people to either work on your project with you if you don't already have a cast and a crew and everything. And or um, when you have something ready to present production companies to pitch, you know, building out a pitch deck, or maybe you don't need the pitch deck because you have the whole project, maybe you do that both. Um, and, you know, cold reaching out to production companies and, and representation as well, because representation can also help you get those meetings and help you, you know, get in the door that way. So after kind of writing down your goals, um, writing down fears, 
um, and kind of figuring that out and their mindset about it, getting to know the person, what, what's the next thing you would do uh, with a client? So after we write the list of fears, then I have them write a list of affirmations that are the opposite of the fears. So like, for example, if your fear is, I'm afraid I'm not good enough, then you flip it to say, I'm, I'm super talented and I'm perfect for whatever project is waiting for me. You know, something like that. You, you turn it around so that your belief is not the fear anymore. It's the opposite of the fear. So that we're building this list of new beliefs for you so that you have this new belief system. I mean, kind of, you know, I, I was kind of doing with you with the Vegas thing and, and you know, really shifting and like, okay, can your belief be that there's so many opportunities for me to make money in LA? I am always going to be supported as long as I'm pursuing my dreams. And I, I can't wait to find out what these financial opportunities are. You know, flipping that, that story of like, oh, you know, I can't afford to live there too. I believe I can totally afford to live there. So you really want to build up this new belief system. Um, and then once we work on that, you know, that mindset portion usually takes first hour and a half. We do a two hour intensive in the beginning. Then we work on the strategy. And so we reverse engineer, which is also in the book. And I will take them through reverse engineering what their goal is that they want to create. And we work backwards to figure out what steps need to be taken um, to figure out sort of the base strategy. And then whatever step is at the bottom of that ladder is where you are now. And that's a good starting point for, you know, where we'll start working together as you start working with that strategy. What kind of things would you go through for that reverse, reversing the mindset thing, the fears? Reversing the fears is like creating affirmations to flip them to the opposite. So if it's, so if the fear is, I'm afraid I won't be able to make money and sustain a life in LA, then we flip it to create an affirmation. That's like the opposite of that, of, I believe I will be fully supported in LA and there's always going to be great financial opportunities for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then you have these new statements that you can then, you know, use as affirmations and repeat to yourself. And you really just want it to get like ingrained in your mind and have this be the new belief system that you're working towards. The next thing we do is we, we do this, like there's a, a reverse engineer ladder where we fill in these boxes where we say, for example, let's say your dream is to win an Oscar. So then I'm like, okay, cool. Let's reverse engineer that. We go, what's the very last thing that would have to happen before you win the Oscar? Would have to be nominated. Okay. What's the very last thing that would have to happen before you're nominated? Well, I'd have to be cast in an Oscar worthy film. Okay. What's the last thing that has to happen before that? Well, I'd have to get the audition for the film. Right. And so we keep going backwards to where they are today. And then when they get to the bottom, usually it's like, oh, I need to get an agent or I need to um, start working on my contacts. I need to, bring, you know, build up my portfolio, you know, whatever those things are at the bottom, then we'll start you know, for the next three months, essentially working on those things. And so, you know, I give them a homework assignment for the week and say, okay, by next Wednesday, next Tuesday, I want you to have X amount of work done. And usually it's like, okay, let's, let's draft your cold email. Let's figure out what you want to say to these people. Let's figure out who you want to connect to. Um, let's, you know, next week you need to send out five or 10 emails. Or if you're like some of my crazy clients, they'll do 70 emails in a week. <laughs> um, and so really working through, you know, the strategy and then you know, as we go through it, like while they're working on that strategy and putting themselves out there and taking all these big risks, it's always going to come back to the mindset hangups. Like, you know, why didn't you send those emails out this week? Well, I was really afraid they would reject me, you know, working on those things and, and supporting them through it and, and cheering them on and, and helping them. Um, so that when those mindset things, you know, whenever the fears come up or they have questions about doing things that I'm there to support them through it and help them really tap into, you know, I, I call it the high achiever, you know, has happened to their star power and uh, really be that high achiever, the person that they might be scared, but they're doing it anyway. They're taking those risks. They're putting themselves out there. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry to kind of like talk through that last part really fast, but. Um, Jasper though, like, I mean, after, I mean, like I, I did take you through some pretty uncomfortable stuff. So like, what are you thinking? How are you feeling right now? I think like the, that fear aspect um, is, is a really good point. And I think 
a lot of things can be, um, I guess a lot of like hesitations can be mitigated, um, with reversing those fears. And I think it's helpful for a lot of people to understand, to, to like write things, write things down, um, and quantify them to be able to understand their mindset better. And that just comes with like changing your philosophy about how you work. How are you personally feeling? How am I personally feeling? Now that I poked and prodded at all, you know, in a very uncomfortable way, how are you personally feeling? No, I'm definitely feeling inspired. I think that like, kind of what, what I was saying before about like the changing the philosophy and the mindset and all of that, like that, I, I, I said it in a very general sense, but I was applying it to myself as well. I would say, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts and definitely like feeling more excited to like move to a bigger city to have those opportunities for sure. Well, I mean, I think like, you know, thank you so much for being open. I feel like I'm not trying to, by the way, like take all the power on this podcast. I know this isn't my podcast, but I just want to say thank you for being open because I think that will help a lot of people. I think a lot of times our fears are subtle and we don't realize that they're running the show. You know what I mean? Like with this Vegas thing, it didn't like you had a lot of legitimate reasons in your mind of why you would choose that. And so I think it's helpful for people to know, like we all have these blind spots or we're doing things that we don't even realize we're doing, you know? So I think it's, I'm hoping it'll be really helpful for people to hear, you know, that whole process. Yeah, thank you for uh, like doing the simulation with us too, because I know that's like something different that we haven't done before. And I don't know if you've done something like that before, if you've been on other podcasts, but how did you feel about it? I, I mean, I, I love doing, I mean, I, I just want to help everybody achieve their dreams. You know, the, it's, I mean, thank you. Like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to just chat with you about this. I think that um, I, I, I live for this. I, I love, I love doing mm-hmm. this. And, you know, like, look, from, from doing this for a while, it's like, like I could have picked out the Vegas thing right away. You know, it's like, I just know. And so to me, it's like fun to <laughs> find people's fears and, and make you, and make you confront them, but more because of what's on the other side. It's like, oh, well maybe now you'll consider a different move or, or you'll plan to go to Vegas first and then go to LA, whatever it is. Like maybe now you'll think about what's possible for yourself in in a bigger way. And and, you know, hopefully that you'll, you'll move towards that. Like you have all these amazing dreams. Like I just, you know, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to have that production company. I want you to have, you know, have those dreams. You know, I was thinking of a company like Reese Witherspoon's company, you know, yes, she's an A-list celebrity, but when she wanted to produce, nobody would take her seriously. They're like, oh, you're this actress. What do you know about producing? And none of the studios would give her a chance. And so she had to create her own company and go, I mean, it's a really big risk. She had to let, you know, she had to invest a ton of money of her own into it. And she talked about it, you know, it's a scary process, but she had to prove to the world that she could do this. And now she, I feel like she's kind of built what you're talking about, where she has this reputation now where you kind of know all her projects are going to be really great. And people are probably begging her, banging down her door for her to produce their, their book or their script. Um, whereas before it all started, nobody would let her. So, um, you know, I think it's great to be able to, sorry, that was a tangent, but I'm just excited for the possibility for you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I think I, I like your mindset there and I like that you are just so passionate about helping people because um, that that's like the core of a career, especially something like what you do. You just need to like it and you need to be passionate about it. So, yeah. Anything you have to say, Andrew? I have plenty to say. Jasper, you're fired. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think I think that was that was all amazing. And I definitely think if we had more time, we could probably you know, go into it further. I didn't want to say anything while you guys were having your conversation. I definitely have my opinions and thoughts that I could have projected, but, um, I will keep those to myself, but it was fantastic to have you, Erica. Your book is amazing. Your podcast is amazing. Um, you're welcome to take charge of our podcast whenever, (laughs) um, 
and you know when 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 we make the move towards the LA, I guess you know maybe Jasper will sign up as one of your clients, or I'll sign up as one of your clients. Who knows? Yeah, hit me up, and you know I just I I had a client once who moved to Vegas instead of LA, and and went through something similar. And again, it's not about LA. It can be any city you want that's a film city, but I just want you to go to a place that's really going to help you achieve all of these goals that you have. You have a great start already. You've built all this momentum. I think it would only continue in a film city. Yeah, absolutely agree. Kind of full circle back to one of the first questions we asked. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that's a great place to wrap it up then. Full circle, baby. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you, Erica. You have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much. Cut. <laughs>